have a serious guest on to talk about a serious topic to try to raise money for something very important so we can't talk about redacted. We can't bring up redacted. Okay, I know you're going to you know, want to talk about... I don't actually about... bring up redacted anymore. I don't. I really avoid bringing up redacted on this podcast wherever possible. I really think that it's it's you and world-famous podcaster Taylor LaBresh are like the main causes of redacted coming back on this podcast recently. But you talk about redacted off-air constantly, and I need you to know before... No, I don't. He's lying. I don't talk about redacted off-air constantly. Wait a minute, Amber. Are we recording? Yeah. This was supposed to be off air. No, no. In this bit, I'm sorry. In the fiction of this bit, are you, are you saying the word redacted uh, off air? Why are you saying redacted off air? (laughs) Because I didn't want to bring up any of the things that would be redacted for the cold open. Because it would, would hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) It's Abby Shapiro's feet. Abby Shapiro's feet. Wait, which Abby? Who's Abby Shapiro? Do I know Abby Shapiro? Oh, God bless you. Shapiro. Thank God for the power of editing. You're oh. so much better of a person than we are. <laughs> Shapiro's sister. Wait, what? I just never heard heard it referred to as um, Abby Shapiro. I just always well, I don't I don't often hear her referred to much, to be honest. But um, yeah. Interesting reference. Is that what I missed? Did it was you, like a. Did you explain redact? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this ship is off the fucking rails. Um, uh, welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Amber Autumn. She, her. I'm Prince Devin. He, him. And today we have a guest extraordinaire, Ryan, aka Run DMC, famous amongst anyone in a TTRPG space for making dank memes. Buddy, pal, friend of mine, would you like you to introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, I'm Ryan. <laughs> uh, he, him, and uh, yeah, I go by Run DMG online. I make lots of memes. Uh, occasionally, make uh, some serious content. Uh, and right now, actually, I am trying to uh, raise some money for charity. Noble endeavor, if I heard one. And you are someone who doesn't need an introduction, but such is the tradition of the show. So we shall ask you, what's one thing you think is underrated? And what's one thing you think is overrated? Oh, underrated? That's a hard one. There are so many things that are underrated. I think just like a crappy generic young adult novel is very underrated. Like honestly, any amount of escapism for an adult or a young adult is worth it. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, a lot of people crap on a lot of different young adult novels. I think earlier before we start recording, I crapped on Divergent a little bit, but you know what? If it brings you a distraction and like makes your day a little bit better, I think that's great. Overrated. Oh my God. There's so many things that are overrated. Truffles. I think truffles are overrated. I think they're overused. I think they're a little passe now. And not not like chocolate truffles, but like actual, like whatever. I don't know what they are. Some kind of mushroom. Um, but I don't know if I like the taste. Uh, I think they're overused. Truffle oil french fries are gross. You know what? Hard agree. Okay. I also don't like truffles all that much. This I mean, is an anti-truffle podcast. This is our brand now. Yeah. This is a podcast about how truffles are bad. Yeah, I think it's really overrated. Like, my wife, she always gets, like, truffle fries when we go someplace, like, halfway fancy. And they are almost always, like, she'll eat them and she likes them. But, like, I they're disgusting to me. Um, One time I bought a truffle hot sauce. And it didn't taste any better than any other hot sauce. But it was 15 bucks. It cost more than every yeah. other hot sauce. It's just a way for people to crank up the price. So, um, in between talking about how much we don't like truffles, which, again main thing that we do on this show. We do occasionally like to talk about um, uh, your favorite and or favorite, least favorite uh, intellectual properties, franchises, movie trilogies, movie series, television shows, novel series, video games, uh, hopes, dreams, wishes, concepts, uh, fantasies, uh, flights of fancy, and make an original character in that franchise as a way of understanding what makes that franchise tick and be interesting. And today we had Ryan on and we had a long conversation about um, uh, what franchise he would want to talk about. And um, he talked about how um, much he wanted to do to Divergent because it was so good and he loved Divergent so much. And we managed to talk him down from that position um, into instead talking about The Expanse. 
um, which is something that neither Devin nor I know shit about, basically, is where we're at, which is where I love to be with a guest. And I'm actively um, trying not to hold it against you. I'm making, like, positive <laughs> effort right now to not, like, just, like, toss something across the room. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna toss it. Where Where are you, Ryan? You wanna You wanna toss something to Oakland, California? Is it, are you that close to me? <laughs> the first guest to ever rage quit. <laughs> yeah, just gonna rage. I'm gonna toss my laptop out the window. No, no. <laughs> uh, just trying to add a little drama to the pod. Um, uh, which which we appreciate. We're 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 a drama pod. Um, before we talk uh, too much about the expanse. Uh, uh, which, you know, we, we, we will have plenty of time for. Um, we are also here for something greater than ourselves today. Today you are trying to raise money for a charity. So do we want to do we want to start with that? And then maybe, I think, you know, given the premise of the episode, we could occasionally find ways to, to, to tie it into the, to the, what we, you tie it into the, the, you know, the episode. Talk about the, talk about the charity. Yeah. So first, first day of January, um, I gathered a cohort of uh, like-minded uh, TikTokers, uh, even though I'm in my 30s, I TikTok, don't judge me. Um, and we came together to do this uh, tabletop RPG talks uh MSF, which is like what's Medicine Sans Fronteras, uh, which Doctors Without Borders charity drive. And we started out with roughly, I think, around 30. We are now up to 60 creators. Our original goal was to raise $1,500. We are now currently sitting at $3,800. And I have a soft goal for the end of the month at like 10K. Um, and really what this is all about is... Uh, you know, I just wanted to start the year off right and the destruction. One of the things that really motivated me was the destruction in Gaza right now. It is like almost complete. They have no infrastructure right now. They've cut off running water. They've cut off power. You know, medical facilities are actively getting bombed and they are targeting medical professionals. Um, so... You know, Doctors Without Borders is one of the few people sending, like one of the few organizations sending people in to do anything to help. Um, and they're also um, trying to record things that happen and be witnesses um, as international uh, bystanders. And I wanted to do something to help. Um, and, you know, I've you know, sent letters to congressmen. I've called my congressman. You know, I've, I've done everything that like is kind of within my power. Um and this is just something that I wanted to do to try and do something more just because I felt very helpless in what I could do. So I'm hoping that we can make just a little bit of a difference. Yeah. So what you're, you're, it's a, it's a, it's a coalition of tabletop role-playing game creators. And, um, are you, is it like you're, you're selling games for charity? Is it just, you're encouraging each other to donate? What's the, so there's a lot going on. Um, so it, it's not necessarily just people that make tabletop RPGs, but it's like creators on the app. So creatives that make content, whether that be actual tabletop RPGs or memes for them or cute little videos or show people how to play. So we have people from all different sections of that. So we have a few tabletop RPG makers that are putting up their products uh, as rewards. So say you donate 10, 15, however many dollars you can then... Uh, get like basically a free copy of their game. We have tabletop creators that are pretty popular for showing people how to play games and they are offering like um, their GM services to basically do one shots and to teach people how to play in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Um, we have dice makers that are putting up dice at pretty cheap rates. So a friend of mine smoking glue guns has a giga chunk, which is 110 millimeter dice. And if you don't have something for reference that is bigger than my fist and I have a pretty big fist and it weighs like four pounds and it's a D20. And usually that sells for like over a thousand dollars and she is going to basically give it away for 500, but it all goes towards charity. So a lot of different people, a lot of different things on offer. Um, and we're just trying to do something positive. And we're growing every day. I think we've added at least one person every day since we started. So, and sometimes multiple. That's really cool. I love, um, I'm on the record uh, as, as I love when um, tabletop people, when RPG people get to be on the pod, because I, I think of this podcast as being very, um, I, I think it's a story game. The, the podcast itself is, is a game. It's one of my favorite RPGs. And so... I'm thrilled to be contributing the the podcast a podcast episode to um the the process 
yeah, I'm, I'm glad that y'all want to take part and help out. So that said, um, uh, let's uh, chat a little bit about The Expanse. The Expanse, what is it? Uh, I, I, can it be trusted? Do we think it's interesting? <laughs> what is interesting about it? I do hope it can be trusted. Uh, so The Expanse is a series of novels and a... Um, it was on sci-fi, I think, believe, uh, first. It's a, it's a TV series. We'll start out on sci-fi, ended on Amazon. And also, it's a tabletop RPG system. There are a handful of books for it that came out pretty recently. Um, but really, what it is, is it is uh, what some people like to call like hard sci-fi. Um, it is set, I can't remember, I think it's like 200 years in the future. Um, but basically, it's set in a relatively colonized like solar system. Um there are basically the entirety of the solar system is in some way um, accessible and being mined. And it, it uses a lot of like hard fantasy. And by hard fantasy, I just mean like instead of it being soft, like, oh, we have a quantum drive that allows us to go from A to B in five seconds. It uses a lot of scientific principles and kind of tries to model what it would be like um, using like actual physics. Um, so a bit and they kind of instead of just having that as like a... Um, set dressing it drives the plot so if they need to be somewhere they have to plot out the timing because there's only you know they're you know it's not magic they actually have to travel there when they are in combat there are a lot of like there's a lot of physics going on um like a lot of the a lot of the the problems they face are technical in nature so there's it's you know it's not just some like oh there's you know we've got you know, like in in, in in Star Trek, where it's just some fantasy problem every week where you, they're learning about the problems. Like, oh, this is a very known problem. It happens all the time, but it's happening to us right now. And what do we do about it? So I really like that as a way to story build, like taking real life problems. I'm a big fan of like Andy Weir. Andy Weir does something kind of similar where you keep everything as scientifically accurate as possible and build the story around that instead of just coming up with like a MacGuffin to handle all of your problems. Um, so I, I like that idea of just like sticking with it and like kind of using the science. I'm an engineer by trade, so I, I like the idea that they're kind of like going through that. I also like the, the, the way that the expanse got started is also kind of funny. It started out as a online, I don't know if it was discord or it was on a, um, some other like early version of a server, uh, for something else, but it was a game. It actually was a D 20 game that they were playing online in a, um, in it like a basically like a group chat and they uh f the writers that got involved were part of it and then after the first campaign they're like hey this is kind of a this is like the bare bones of a really impressive story maybe we should write this and then they did and it kind of took off from there i think they're on like nine books they had like six or seven um series on amazon and sci-fi so or seasons not necessarily series uh, so it got pretty popular so this is like this isn't like a series that's being told by one author. Um, this is a series that's being told by um, a lot of different people coming together. Well, two. Two. So there's there's two main authors for the book series. So they go by James S. A. Corey, which is the pen name, but it's um, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. Uh, they're the writers. Now some of the Amazon series has diverged. So there is like distinct writers for that. And it's, I don't know if it's all technically canon. I don't know if it has like, like a distinct canon, like say something else, like uh, like Star Trek. Um, but then I think also the tabletop RPG has like its own canon as well. Uh, so there's a couple distinct canons, but like the main, uh, like the book series, it only had like two writers. I, so I, 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 a lot of, a lot of what you were talking about was about um, uh, like the ways that that the rules of the universe are understood right and um uh, it's very like oh this is a very hard sci-fi setting and um these are like the 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 narrative traditions that it draws its roots from um so i'm wondering if if it's po it, it may not be possible to summarize this but if it is possible if you could summarize in a few sentences what is the story of the expanse what is it about is it about like what are the who are the core characters what are they trying to achieve you know gotcha. what's the so it's a bit of a space opera it follows the crew of uh jim holden um 
And really what it is is that there's there's basically this three-part detente in the solar system. You have Earthers, you know, people that stayed on Earth and the Earth major powers that are like a uniform, a uniform government. You have Mars, um, which is it's basically its own planet and country. And then you have the Spacers, who are the people that only live in space. Uh, they can live on asteroids and stuff like that. But basically it's these three-party... The, well, it's technically these two parties in a race to subjugate the spacers for, to a great degree. Um, they pay spacers very low wages. Uh, spacers tend to have a lower a lower social status, generally speaking, less opportunities. And uh, there is this cold war that has been brewing for a very long time between Earth and Mars. And there, it, James Holden, his or Jim Holden, I guess he goes by both. Um, they get caught in the middle. So their ship is, was uh, mining ice, basically, uh, to support uh, spacer uh, settlements. They seem, they got attacked by basically like this uh, unknown shadow ship. They think it's Mars because Mars showed up shortly after that. James Holden makes this like really big broadcast basically saying that, you know, they got destroyed by this Mars ship and everybody um, took that as like Mars attacking spacers because they were supplying water for all the stations. And then, you know, Earth gets involved. There's a lot of big battles, but really it is this uh, corporate entities in the background trying to manipulate both of them to make money. And also that they recently found this kind of like X element uh, that might be extraterrestrial and they're trying to basically make it into something they can make even more money off of. And they, uh, the James Holden and his crew are basically like started out adjacent to it, find themselves in the center of it as like aliens kind of come back into existence to a small degree, or at least alien stuff and Mars and earth go to war. And these like shadowy powers try to uh, shape the conflict. So the next place that I, often like to go to, I would like to know what The Expanse is, like, not just as a show in general, but to you specifically. What, like, you picked this, you thought this was interesting. Um, what does it mean to you? Well, I've always found it interesting, and I think it's a little apropos for what happens right now. Um, I mean, just not even necessarily with Gaza or anything like that, just generally speaking. I think it's, at the core of it, um, it's a hard sci-fi story. It kind of makes out to the, you know, makes these people out to be heroes, but the, the problems they face, or at least the consequences of the problems they face are often created by the, um, big moneyed interest people that don't care about normal people and only really care about money and are willing to sacrifice basically hundreds, if not thousands or hundreds of thousands of people just so they could potentially make money and the uh and later part in the series um because like star Trek, like traveling between stars is basically impossible like it's just not probable um just because of the time involved uh, but near the i think this uh i can't remember if it's the second book or the third book basically this nexus becomes open this alien nexus that leads to other worlds and then everything just speeds up and everybody is trying to claim entire planets and the people that are most probably appropriate to do so the spacers they are actively being cut out of it by big money interests um, that have been creating all of these problems since the beginning. Um, so I just think it's very interesting and it kind of parallels. I think it's a more realistic, like everybody thinks the future is going to be like Star Trek and we're all going to get along. But I think I like this viewpoint from the future just because I think it's a little more realistic. I think big money companies and people that... Um, look out for themselves more for more than others are going to kind of continue to do so. Um, and it kind of shows the faults of like capitalism and all the people that it crushes uh, as it, you know, uh, basically grows and becomes this huge, not d just doesn't conquer the world, but potentially like is the main driver for a whole solar system of people. Yeah. It seems to me there's a couple of different places that we can go from here. Then I, the, the, the main two that, that jump out to me um, are, Either um, it seems like we want to make a spacer because you know we're really invested in this sort of this sort of working class narrative, this like story about like from the eyes of the people who have been hurt by capitalism, um, or we want to make like a villain, and in, in that case, it can be um, someone from Earth or Mars. 
I, I don't know how the story handled if there's like villains TM in the traditional sense. There are definitely villains TM. Um, I mean, there's villains on every side. So there are villain spacers, there's villain Martians, there's villain humans, or like not humans, Earthers. Um, because basically as, as the series goes on, you know, different people come into power and start making different problems for everybody else. At a certain point, like a bunch of basically terrorists um, from the spacers start like throwing rocks at other planets and uh, causing like catastrophic, like nuclear sized events on uh, major cities and stuff like that. So um, there, there's villains everywhere, but, um, and there's also heroes everywhere. There's a lot of people on every side that are trying to make it work. Um, even though everybody else is telling them that it's impossible. So this is one of the ones where I want to start with with our little prompts. Um, uh, we directed you earlier to the uh, 51 different potential prompts. Did you take a look at those? Have you I did, you and I picked through? one. I would like to choose a, pris I love that. a pristine DVD box set of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh my god, really? Yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah! <laughs> yes! I was so worried we were never going to find a spot to use that one. <laughs> it's such a hard one to use. Okay. Um, uh, this, this is sort of surprising to me because it's such a contemporary object and also such a, a branded one. Um, do you think it, do you think it makes sense in the world? I'm surprised to hear it makes sense in the world, but like, I believe you if that's, if that's a thing that you're, it, that you're thinking. It would make sense in the world because it's not like a split universe where things didn't exist like they did today. Uh, it's basically an evolution of what happened and to them, like a pristine box set of <laughs> the Lord of the Rings would technically be a possible thing that they could find, but it would be just as improbable as finding like a pristine printing of the first set of the Lord of the Rings today. Like it would be a astronomical find. Like it would be worth a lot of money probably. It would be vintage to them. Okay. Okay. Great. So then if, if our character has a pristine DVD box set of the Lord of the Rings, then that tells me that our character probably has money or has done something illegal to acquire the, the DVD box set. Um, and... No. Well, not even necessarily because like spacers, like a big thing for spacers is salvaging. So maybe they came across a ship and like salvage rights are as they are. Like you've come across something that is abandoned and it's, you know, doesn't have a beacon on it or it's the beacon's batteries run out. Like you can just claim it. So they may have just come across like basically solid gold on a, you know, <laughs> on a, on a scrapping run. Okay. Here's the question. So then I want to answer for this item. Is the fact that it's Lord of the Rings, like, thematically cohesive to what this character's about? Is it representative of what they want out of the world? Or is this purely like a, I have found an item worth a lot of money? I think it could be both. I think that could be the struggle in them. They may know that, like, the Lord of the Rings is, like, a really cool old movie that they may not be able to, like, get anymore. But they might also know that if they unwrap it, it's not worth as much money. So, like, do they sell it or they, do they enjoy the thing that they found? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I, um, it, it definitely, like, already this has told us a lot about this character. Um, uh, we know that this is a character who uh, does salvage, and we do know that this is a character who, like for whom the money would matter because it's likely a spacer and therefore the money matters. And if this character is even considering not selling it right away, then that tells us things about their priorities about like sort of this, this, this idealistic view of trying to uh, uh, find beautiful things in life and, and trying not to live for money even though circumstances are forcing them into it. Like all of these are things that are implied by what we've said already. Yeah, I agree. So, Devin, were you talking about, like, did you mean, like, that it is Lord of the Rings specifically is the thing that we're trying to answer here? Yeah, I wanted to know if we're going to tie in, like, you, you bring up Lord of the Rings and this conjures to mind's ideas of, like, uh, conservationism and collectivism and very broadly just, you know, anti-war and it was all classic story, classic epics of just good triumphing over evil. Is any of that, like 
thematic playground tie into what this character is about or is it just more about like establishing the things we've already established like there's someone who thinks about art i think i think that could because there is a lot uh in the books there's a lot of discussion about like spacer life and how some of them have like literally never seen a tree in person um spacers uh like a true blue spacer they are at least like they're at least six inches to a foot taller than like your standard like average human today because they've grown up in zero g almost their entire life they physically can't visit earth because it would it crushes their like um shoulders and concaves their um their chest in and they can't breathe because their muscles aren't strong enough for it uh so a lot of them have never been to earth nor have they ever seen and like earth's pretty messed up like it's gone through some stuff um, so there's not even a lot of forests left, generally speaking. So the idea of like, you know, um, all of this cool land-based stuff that they could see in this movie, um, you know, trees, like the whole Fangorn forest, all that stuff would be like anathema to them. And they would be like kind of, I think, at wonder by it. Yeah, like so- Tolkien's lavish description of trees would become like a sacred text to a people who have never seen a tree. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I I have a lot of questions about spacers then at this point based on the things that you've said here, because um, like okay, it's 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 dangerous or even deadly for them to be on Earth because the gravity doesn't suit their bodies. Is that like an intergenerational like they've they they're um, evolved past the point of being able to be at Earth? They've evolved for space life, or is it uh, like in the span of like? a single lifetime they're unable to. Like, if you had somebody who was, um, like, born on Earth and then went to space and, like, like through some process um, uh, had to emigrate and became a spacer, would they develop a spacer physiology or is the spacer physiology hereditary so it's a little bit of both uh so it's it's been a couple generations at space at this point so there are some characteristics like they don't nail it down 100 i think they kind of allude to it in the first book that there are some characteristics that are starting to like pop up and be spread around just you know just the way that kind of like evolution works you know some things just become more um beneficial and people tend to survive longer um but yeah, like there, there is a way for a spacer that is actually a plot point in the TV series. I don't know if it's in the books or not because I haven't because the TV series like jumps ahead pretty far. Um, but one of the uh, James's crew is a spacer, and she actually like gets on some different like health supplements and exercises and does a bunch of stuff, and she is able to. Some people are able to make the leap from being 100, 100% space to ground-based. Um, they find out that she can't just for whatever reason. Like, her body can't take the stimulants that she has to take for, like, muscle growth. Um, but other people can. And adversely, if you spend, you know, there is some talk about, like, humans that uh, are not humans, earthers, uh, that spend too much time in space. Um, then trying to come back and having, like, a really hard time. And then also people from Mars having the same issue. Like... It kicks uh, when people go from Mars that are like been born and bred on the Mars because it's like one third gravity. When they go to Earth, they get their asses handed to them. Like the second they basically walk out of the spacecraft, they're like about to pass out. Um, it's 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 played up for laughs, I think, in the TV series. So what the the thing that all of this is implying that's coming together to imply to me is a character who is a um, a second generation spacer. Um, they, they come from parents who were Earthers and who, like, have all of these stories about what it was like on Earth and, you know, uh, like, maybe, like, they haven't seen forests, um, but they've seen a tree, you know, and Mm. our character hasn't seen a tree, um, because they grew up in space and, um, uh, probably they have some, like, like, emotional aspirations of a like a return maybe um but like that's not actually logistically really in the cards because you know a their parents have just fallen economically and socially and are no longer like able to go back to like the way of life that they had before because like social mobility and economic mobility is just not that it's just not that free you can't just go back 
and B, um, uh, as also a metaphor for A, um, our character also just like like physiologically can't right. There's a yeah. a, a, a a biological reason why our character w- is not actually able to attain this dream that they're holding on to. Yeah. Devin, how are you? How are you feeling? Where are you at on all this? I like this. I want to find a way to connect, like, because we have an internal conflict, and now we have a way to externalize that, and whether or not they do or do not open this DVD. I just want to connect those more affirmatively in my brain. So you want to connect why they shouldn't open it? Like, what what would be the financial reason they maybe wouldn't want to? Yeah. Um. I. Th- in. In. Okay. I think. I'm. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna word salad, and we're gonna see where we get by the end of it. Uh, going home, air quotes, to Earth would be a very big deal. Um, and if they sell the DVD, they could do that. Okay. Wait. Wait. Okay. Okay. Wait. Wait. wait no. I, I think I've got it. I think about it. Okay. 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 Their parents are big fans of Lord of the Rings. And so opening it, like, would they could watch it as a family, right? But if you sell it, then we could live Lord of the Rings because I don't know. I, I don't know if they know that, like, Earth is fucked up, but maybe they don't because they're second generation and they've only heard, like, tales about Earth. So it's like, I can, I can have a, a nice moment with my family or I can give them it... It's I'm I'm trying to make that bit Amber you have where you fix the prequels where you just make Anakin and Obi Wan like in love with each other and it's Anakin's trying to save Obi Wan by trying to kill him at the end of the movie. That's what I'm trying to do here about whether or not we open this DVD. Talk to me about spacer family structure. So space, um, it's it depends. I um, in the in the TV series. They uh, just because of the way like ships work, you know, schedules and like cramped space, they tend to be not necessarily polyamorous, but it is much more socially open and openly acceptable um, to be like kind of in a poly relationship. Not necessarily any number of gender like specific. So like there are like, you know, and then, you know, kids tend to be like, especially if it's like a, you know, a, a ship that is kind of run by a family, they tend to be raised by the family and the crew like it's kind of like uh, it takes a village type of vibe okay so um uh our kids like parent how how many spacer ships like is there a finite supply or is it pretty much just you can make up as many of them as you want to in the fiction Oh, as many, there's hundreds, thousands, like a, a ton. Thousands. Like it's a big thing uh, for spacers to like have their own ship, to like eventually work their way up to getting their own ship. And presumably each of these ships has like its own internal community, right? Yeah. Dep- I mean, some very small, like two, three people, some pretty big, maybe like 50, 60, even more. So, okay. Um, our, our character is on a ship of, a, of, a, of an indeterminate size, we can get to that later, where um, there is a... Yeah, I think I think Devin has tapped onto something, a pre-existing fascination with Lord of the Rings, probably the books, right? That's We can probably say that the, the, the texts have survived some amount of time, and, like, they're aware that um, uh, the, the books have been adapted before. Um, that's not, like, the thing that any of them have noticed before, and our character um, has found this thing has like lucked into this thing in the pursuit of like day-to-day normal survival stuff just like scavenging um and uh, i think maybe the deal is that if the character if our character like shows other people that the movie exists um, then the, like, more experienced or, like, more adult people on the crew will almost certainly, at least in our character's eyes, choose to sell it for the money. And our character, um, is, like, more idealistic than them and believes that, oh, I want to keep this and use it. But obviously our character doesn't have, like, a DVD player, right? That's not, like, a technology that they are just going to have on hand. Um, and so by not telling people and not showing anyone on the crew um they're like keeping their dvd box set safe but they're also like 
preventing anybody from being able to see it. Um, this isn't actually, I'm realizing, getting here, answering the prompt that Devin had for me. I was ta I thought I was going to connect it, and I didn't. I think that we need to dive into the kids' relationship with the with the family unit and with the parents in order to in order to make this um, uh, dramatically cogent, dramatically and th th dramatically and thematically like dovetailed with one another. Um, I've I've sort of been leaning more and more. I'm sure you can tell over the course of talking into making this a younger character, but I don't know uh, if if other people had feelings about that. I didn't want to like make that decision unilaterally. Um, but I, I have sort of started to imagine the character as more of like a, I don't know, like 19 age maybe. Or I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if the. That works for me. Sure. I don't know if ages function differently. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah, late, late teens. teens. And uh, Devin, do you think that our character is more like trying to appease the parents or more like resenting them for leaving the planet. What do you think is the more interesting option here? Ooh. I think my brain would go with the first, but I think the second one is more interesting. There's something about the... The... <laughs> part of growing up is finding out that your parents are just people, right? They're flawed. Um, and there's something to that in your understanding of Earth being based on media and never having a first-hand experience and you having... A, like, we've accepted that their parents or family unit is Tolkien fans and so know how to explain trees in a way that makes them seem mythical, and the idea that you left that to be in space could be something that hurts this kid, and so now they are coveting the precious. Cute. <laughs> they're, they're being smeagle about the Lord of the Rings DVD box set. Yeah, I think, I think it's more interesting if they're upset with their parents really in some a story way. about the corrupting power of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> maybe i the way that i'm the way that i'm sort of imagining it at this point then is that our our character um uh wants to keep this for themselves right and and yeah it precious. has like this potentially comforting influence because it's the precious um and ultimately like the arc that our character needs to go through is going to be one of um sort of like understanding why their parents did what they did um which is actually sort of i'm this is maybe a question for Ryan is like, what, why might the parents have, have left or been forced to leave earth? So the big thing for earth is like, it is a place of immense wealth, but it's, it's like a little tired. So the, a lot of the wealthiest people in the world still live on earth, but like the unemployment rate, and it, it's like, I believe the UN is like the world government. It's all unified. Um, but like the unemployment rate's like 30% and that's like worldwide. Um, so universal basic income is like the only income for a lot of people. Um, so there tends to be a lot of hardship, especially in cities and like certain cities, there's one character, Amos Burton, uh, who's a, like a fan favorite. Cause he's a very conflicted, um, like mysterious past character. That's a bit of a badass. Like, there's his story of, like, leaving Baltimore is, like, harrowing. Like, um, uh, like basically, Baltimore is, like, a criminal, a crime-run city that, like, very few people make it out of. Um, so, there, I think, and he... I love The Wire. Yeah, he loved The Wire. It's basically The Wire, but it's every street corner. Um, and he actually che kind of, like, cheated to get into space. Uh, he, like, bought a, like, a like a fake ticket or something like that to get into space. Like through criminal means, he was able to gain access to like this engineering program in space and get the hell out and get the hell off. So for a lot of people, it is an attractive idea to leave earth. It's just like, once you leave earth, you become a spacer and you realize a lot of these systems that at the end of the day are run by either the Martian government or the earth government. They're there really to like keep you down and oppress you. And they are not your friend. And the second you can like basically relate to other spacers, they're even less your friend because they view you as like a second class or a third class citizen. So getting off of earth is, is a thing that people want to do. And it's very difficult to do. Mm. So maybe our our characters, like, family, in order to get off, you need to either be very, like, cunning and ready to, you know, do whatever 
um, uh, sneaky illegal things Amos did, or you probably need to have some influence and be able to pull some levers. So maybe our character's family actually was pretty well off, only there was like a fall coming, right? There was some scandal that they knew was about to break but hadn't broken yet, and they have like just a little bit of time to um, uh, use their connections to get off Earth and to get into space while the getting's good before the whole thing collapses around them. And so they even have this like, oh, we were wealthy on Earth backstory that our character gets to, um, you know, hear the tales of and be jealous of, maybe. Does that make, is that, is that a thing that could happen? Oh, for sure. Um, there is a lot, of, I mean, there is a couple of reasons in the book that that could have happened. So right around the time this uh, the spacers start throwing rocks, um, they actually, I think they were aiming for, uh, I can't remember exactly where they were aiming for, but it ends up affecting like the entire like northeastern seaboard. Uh, they basically, uh, they asteroid strike it and there's a whole plot of Amos was like visiting uh, a friend that was in prison, um, kind of getting stuck there when this like bomb goes off and then with his like trying to make it back to space because everybody, everything's like locked down. Um, like it, it's kind of post-apocalyptic because there's just no resources right now. The, you know, government is like been completely knocked out. I think the president actually, like the president of the world dies. Um, so yeah, the, during that time, a lot of people would be trying to make it to space. Okay. So, uh, so, so maybe they had some kind of a forewarning and they used it to save themselves, for example, could be something that we could have. Yeah. I, I like the idea of it's, it's like... I don't know, senators or whatever in the aftermath of the, of the, the Eastern seaboard asteroiding. Yeah. yeah. Are there senators? Is that uh, what? Yeah. There's like, what's I, a, what's I, a royalty I, position? Uh, I mean, just like they could have been like Plutarchs or whatever. They could have been like, or middle management, like enough money to hear the backroom talk, but not necessarily like rich enough to have their own like moon or something. May I make a few casting decisions? Are we, um, uh, yeah, so the, are, is, is this an event that happened in the TV show as well, out of curiosity? Which one? The, the, the asteroiding of the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah, that happened, that, I can't, I, I don't know, because the, like I said, the TV show kind of, like, skips ahead the books, I've only read, like, four or five of the books, uh, but yeah, near the last couple of seasons of the show, like, the spacers, there is kind of this, like, tyrannical government that kind of emerges, um, from the spacers that basically declare war on like Mars and earth. Um, and yeah, they, they, they throw a couple of asteroids. And I think one of them hits uh, the Eastern seaboard uh, and it, it really does. And it, the whole, the plot of like a couple of episodes of the show is Amos basically trying to get back to space, him coming across some old criminal contacts, him finding some people on the road there and all of them trying to hold it together they like find this rich person's estate that has like a little shuttle that they could take to the moon. Um, so they are trying to like get it back online and get it working. And other people are coming in to like steal it. Um, and they're trying to like hold them off. Okay. So I, I, I imagine that we're making like a character here who sort of exists simultaneously in book and television form. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, Devin, feel free to do some, some casting on the television side. Okay, so for the actual kid, our, our main focus OC, I want to say, I'm not going to know his name, but he played Tim Drake on Titans, and he also played the young Joker initiate in The Batman, and that was just really fun stun casting for me personally. Remember the motherfucker in The Batman who just looked like Doug Walker? I couldn't, I couldn't not see it. <laughs> he just looked like Melvin, brother of the Joker. <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> hilarious. But for the mom... I'm going to suggest uh, Taja P. Henson, a.k.a. Cookie from Empire. And for the dad, this casting is too hilarious for me not to do it. I think the dad should be Andy Serkis. <laughs> that, that would be funny to have Andy Serkis be the dad. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's the kind of role he would be good at. He's a good, yeah. he's a good pick for the role. That is, that would be. And it's adorable. It would be kind of, it would be hilarious. Like, oh, what's this? Oh. The pressure. No, you know that's a, that's the that's the after credits where he does a little like I I could do that voice. I think I could do that voice. Goofy. <laughs> this is the blooper reel where he's goofy. fucking around. 
him watching it for like the twentieth time in like two days. He's like, my precious. Watching, watching, watching Andy Circus act his way to discovering the Smeagol voice. Yeah. <laughs> my, my precious. No, my precious. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we so we've got we've got a bunch of, of of characters and their respective arcs set up here already. You have the you know the the parents who need to learn to, um, you know, communicate with their child about the the surroundings that they live in and to not try you know and set up quite as much of a fantasy world about um, what could be and to try to live in the present. And then you have our kid whose whole arc is going to be about. Um, you know, uh, uh, realizing their parents as like whole complete persons and about um, using this like, like this Lord of the Rings DVD box set as a sort of synecdoche for um, connection with their past and connection with the other people. And also, I don't know, like, like uh, grounding their idealism in, in like something material instead of in an abstract fantasy of what could be. Yeah, it's the thing I often say when I talk about my personal politics of there is a difference between what you philosophically hold to be true and what is politically expedient. It's why I'm not voting for anarchist parties anytime soon, despite being one. Vote for what you can get. Yeah, uh, yeah unfortunately. Unfor- yeah, truly unfortunately, yeah, you vote for what you can get. <laughs> Andy Serkis is the only one of those casting choices that you mentioned that I know, so I I don't have a sense of who this who this kid is. Um, you said what do was we it think Arthur he's like? Drake? You said it was Arthur Drake in what? He played Tim Drake in Titans, and he played the young initiate in the bat, the young young Joker initiate in the Batman. And I feel like he was in one of the Scream movies, but I'm not too sure if he was actually in one of the Scream movies. I'm trying to one of the young Joker. Okay, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I recognize um, two of those, uh, Andy Serkis, and of course, was you said Taraji P Henson. Yep, aka Cookie from Empire. That's the main one I know. I from. dig on that. I think that's great. I think she would. I think she can. I think she can knock. I mean, it would also be kind of interesting if she came across like some Apollo stuff because of um, oh, was it hidden figures. Um, they could find like a hidden figures DVD. Yeah, there's just a. <laughs> They get to be cute about the fact that that they're actors. Yeah, yeah. It's all just like a. It's all just. A, it's all just set up for them to find DVDs where they should be in, like the main characters. So, what is this kid like? What's it? What What does he like to be around? There's a big emphasis in the books that, um, like, to be a good spacer, you have to be extremely creative. You have to think outside of the box. Um. You have to be not necessarily humble, but you have a great respect for like your living condition and the people around you just because like uh, a couple of uh, anything just being a couple percentage points off, like, you know, you're using a couple of percentage points more fuel than you're supposed to. You're losing a little bit more water than you should. Like your food is, you know, maybe going through your food a little bit quicker can cause everybody on the ship to like unceremoniously die in some awful way. So there's a lot of talk about how like spacers view like community um, and how they view like your, your part in it. So like, you tend to be pretty re- like they, they kind of ingrain this sense of like being very responsible for yourself and those around you. So I think if I had to like, I feel like it would be kind of kid that has like a little, like kind of maybe takes this too seriously has like a little bit too much on their shoulders is like trying to be a little bit more than they have to be at this point, you know? I like that. That's, that's yeah. better than the thing I was going to suggest. Spending a kid little... who's trying to be adult. Yeah, just trying, like, almost like trying to, like, hopscotch their way straight into, like, not even necessarily adulthood, but being, like, an old-timer, an old hat. Um, and, you know, not really taking that time to be a kid because on a ship, maybe feels like he, or they, I don't want to say, say he, they can't feel like they can just because there's so much at risk and that if they, you know, falter, maybe, you know, everybody will die you know i think that would be a very scary thing to think about there's only maybe a couple inches of plastic and metal between you and instant death at any given time 
And then, back to the fun stunt casting thing, he gets to be a very Batman-esque character putting the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he's been in two Batman properties. <laughs> he be the Batman of space. Spaceman. <laughs> I was going to say Spaceman. Wouldn't that, be go- wouldn't that be Space Ghost? Batman of space? I don't know. What is what is what is Space Ghost's power set? I actually don't know. Let's make a Space Ghost character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's drop everything and do Space Ghost coast to coast. What the fuck is Space Ghost? <laughs> you might have to Google it later. I think like for mostly it's a joke character at this point because there was like a wasn't there like a Space Ghost TV sh- like um coast to coast or something like that. Yeah, like the the actual Space Ghost canon where he's like a serious like Doc Savage-esque pulp hero thing has been completely lost in like cultural landscape and it's just Space Ghost coast to coast where he was like a a talk a late, <laughs> a late night, night talk, talk show, show. Yeah. by <laughs> Hannah Barbera <laughs> from Cartoon <laughs> Network. That's how I remember him, yeah. The original thing is from like the sixties. If our if our if our guy we cast him we we cast him a man. I feel okay. I feel okay using he him for the character at this point. Um, if 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 he is trying too hard to be an adult, what if we give him a younger sibling, and and then you get to like express that through the way that he relates to the younger sibling. Like the younger sibling is like, I don't know, like nine, right? Like significantly mm-hmm. younger than him, and. He's, like, supposed to be taking care of this kid, and um, he is, like, so much is on him that he is, like, really going out of his way not to ever have any fun with the kid, right? Like, um, uh, he's like, no, this is all really serious, and we need to be responsible about, about everything all the time, um, which is not untrue. Um, it just, like, it breaks the kid's heart all the time, and we get to see that, and... And that's like a way we get to dramatize it. Is that cheap? Is that too easy? I don't think it's too easy. If it works, oh, it's never too then, easy. then him learning that his parents are just people gets to let him realize he can just be a person. And so it's like uh, a it's a multi generational uh, revelation. Oh I my like god, I'm thing. a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did that on purpose. <laughs> Amber, you're so big brain. My brain meat is huge. <laughs> you're sitting in a, in a chair made out of your own brain. <laughs> well, I, I I think that pretty much all I personally need before we're ready to ship it is a name. And I don't know what the names are like in this franchise. The names are uh, pretty interesting. They, um, especially Belter names, because it's such a, what is it like? It's like its own distinct like diaspora. Like it's such an intermix of all these different um, beforehand, like um, landlocked and completely separate communities that then like got pushed together and have been. Um, like marrying and making kids with for generations at this point. So like names get pretty interesting. I can actually have some of the names in front of me. Let's see here. So like a more graceful version of the thing Joss Whedon tried to do where characters would occasionally speak Mandarin in Firefly. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely more, they have their own, it's called like Spacer Creole, I think is what they have it in the, uh, they have their own like, dialect kind of that is turning slowly but surely turning into its own language so on james holden's crew they have naomi nagata who is the chief engineer and executive officer um let's see who are the josephus aloysius miller he's also a spacer let's see here <laughs> praxodike meng um who is another spacer may meng um what should see here Michio Pa, um, Basia Merton. Like, there's a dis- there's like a huge uh, Manio Neo Young Espinoza, Marcos Aneros, Philip Aneros. Pac LeBeau. Pac LeBeau. <laughs> is that a first? Is that the whole name? First and last? First and last. Okay. Pac LeBeau. Pac LeBeau. Pac LeBeau. I'm into it. And if you're into it, we need to know who Pac's trying to get into, because everybody, it's time for my segment. Everyone pause for the stinger. Dude, what the f***? In Yowie Art, the semi, or top, 
is usually dominating the UK or Bun. It was fun. Their relationship is cute. Damn it! I ship that. Welcome everyone to I Ship at the part of the show where we discuss the character's sexual orientation, sexual identity, who and who they are not trying to make a smooch with, and also how we feel like the fans uh, feel about them kissing. I don't know anything about the expanse. Amber doesn't know anything about the expanse. So Ryan, if you have any strong thoughts about who this character we shipped with, now is the time to tell is us. Is this a ship from like any canon? Like this is a multiversal canon, or is this uh, within? the expanse is this like who would i ship them in our world we have done both um i think that like i would i would lean towards defaulting to who within the expanse would they get shipped with That's but we we've really definitely done the elsa jack frost shipping style before and that does make sense they have the same power set um I, the, the only thing is there's not like a ton of kids in the expanse like um, you know what? I ship with uh Philip Anaros, the teenage son of like the, the terrorist commander of the uh free navy. <laughs> I think that would be an interesting um, because Philip, at least in the TV shows, is played like a bit like a macho guy. Um, and I think that would be an interesting like dichotomy of like. Of like full bravado, like my dad's the ruler versus like this kind of like maybe slightly meeker, uh, self-conscious uh, person. Tell me about Philip. Tell me where, where and when, when in the timeline of the show and the books is he? He comes where, in a little bit where, later. Where does he hang out? He comes in a little bit later. He's actually the son of Naomi Nagata and Marco Soneros, who ends up being like the commander of the Free Navy, which is like this radical offshoot that ends up kind of like bringing up a lot of belters with them and they're the ones that like launch the asteroids at planets um but philip so they is... actually could have they could actually be the same age around the same time potentially yeah in the timeline of the show wow cool um so and philip he's i think deep deep in the in the storytelling you can tell that he's very like self-conscious doesn't know doesn't really have like his own identity yet his identity is just like replicating his father who's an, uh, like a straight up abuser like he's a terrible person um he uses other people and the second they don't become advantage like they have no advantage to him including his son he like dips on them and martin philip like is trying to be that but you can tell that there is like a lot of hesitation when it really comes down to it and he uh i think he struggles a lot with like who he should be versus who he wants to be and like he tries to play that up like with a lot of bravado there is a scene where he gets in like the smallest disagreement with somebody that's supposed to be his best friend and then he just straight up shoots him because of this disagreement and he like freaks out like he has no idea what to do with himself he's so ashamed um like he thought he that's like that he thought he was trying to do what his dad would do which is like oh this person like stood up to me like time to die um and then he found out that he was kind of disgusted with it um so i think that would be very interesting to have that with more maybe somebody that's like a little bit more self-conscious more community thinking less trying to be like less trying to replicate a sociopath even though they're not um I actually, I'm going to go one step further um, than, we, than we usually do on iShip, and I actually want to say that we should, we should say that in, in our canon, these characters do in fact meet, and they do in fact have something happen between them, that some, something between them, and like that is a mechanism by which, A, we get to tie our character into the main story, right? This is a moment when characters from the main storyline get to interact with this character. And also, B, it's like a way of resolving our character's storyline, right? As our character gets to interact with this person who's going through a very similar experience to him, but sort of like from a different side. And that's a way that he can, like, that's that's a way that he can finally come to, come to realize the truth of the situation. He can resolve his arc through that. I, I think we should, I think we should canonize that. I deem it I so. <laughs> I, I'm going to do a little cross across my chest, and I say this is canonized. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, fellas. For a moment to get into like the weeds of the ship dynamic, I think this is a the first boyfriend situation. I think they they have a breakup, and they understand they're not good for each other. But it also falls under the I just can't quit you. Um, I think Pack <laughs> I just it clearly quit has you. the moment of. 
he just can't quit you. Pack Pack sees the real you, and he knows it's not being your dad. And the the other one, I'm sorry, I forgot his name, but he can't see it yet. But Pack can, and they're not good for each other, and they understand that. But they're always gonna be in each other's lives. And you, you're the first boy I ever kissed. You're gonna be in my heart forever. I can dig it. And I ship it. I'm over shipping it. I think shipping it is done. <laughs> we shipped it. I'm ready to. <laughs> I would rather. I would rather be thinking about fun facts than about shipping. Ooh. Would you say one fun fact a piece? I would say that sounds like the perfect number of fun facts a piece. I have a fun fact. I think that they would be so serious about it that in their research of like the Lord of the Rings and what they want to do with it, they would have picked up at least like conversational level like Elvin off like some message board. Um, it gotten like really, it, and I think that would have been like let like the first step to like a lifelong obsession with like this probably like extinct cultural icon <laughs> yeah they've added elvin into their creole that's so good i think following pax breakup with was it jason it's philip Anaros. following his breakup with fellow he just develops the worst taste in boys lifelong just terrible <laughs> taste in men always picks uh, a, a dude with some real daddy issues like real and philip's got oh, it bad he's got mommy <laughs> issues and daddy issues um he's got issues on all sides pack just he thinks he can fix him he got real close <laughs> the first time <laughs> he can make it right the next the rest of his life i think that um uh he has a scrap board in his room for like scavenge stuff like we know he scavenges and i think that he has um like a, a wall in his like his bedroom or bedroom or whatever his space is on the ship that's just like a bunch of stuff that he scavenged from ships that aren't useful but essentially basically form like a pinterest mood board like a vibes board on his wall um it's what what he does for decoration that's cool i can do that and i i think in addition that that's been an episode of original podcast do not steal would you agree Devin? I would agree. What are the closing traditions? I my I, I worked a double. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one closing tradition is that I say thank you so much for listening. My name has been Amber Autumn. She, her. And I've been Prince Devin. He, him. And who else have we had? And you've had Ryan. Run DMG. He, him. Ryan. Run DMG. He, him. Um, uh, thank you so much for being here. You've been a wonderful guest. Now is the moment of the show for you to plug any pluggables that you've got. We're going to go especially into all of the the charity donation stuff uh, in a little bit. But first, um, uh, just who are you? Where can we find you in the world if we want to find you in the world? You can find me... Uh... <laughs> I used to have a bit where I used to say a bunch of weird stuff like you can find me in your dreams. Uh, no, um, you can find me uh, as Run DMG or DMG Run on basically every major social media platform. I make lots of memes uh, on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, I've done pretty well on TikTok. I've got like 137,000, I think. What's my count? 137. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. So it's it's gone pretty good. Uh, people like the memes and uh, yeah, make all sorts of stuff. I also I actually also make tabletop RPG adventures for stuff, but I haven't been able to get that for a while. And um, for those of you listening who are into tabletop role-playing games, if you are excited about tabletop role-playing game adventures, I have another exciting place where you can find tabletop role-playing game stuff. Or Ryan does. Um, Ryan, can you tell us where we can find all of these these wonderful um, uh, RPG goodies um, uh, for charity? Uh, yeah, there's like a huge long link that you can put in. But if you just put Tiltify and run DMG, I should be like the top result. Uh, and there is a uh, TTRPG Talks MSF uh, fundraising drive. Uh, for MSF is Medicine San uh, Frontieres, I believe, uh, which is Doctors Without Borders. Um, if you find me anywhere on social media, it should also be in my bio. Um, but yeah, we are raising money um, basically any way possible. We split into two teams. Any, any, anything and everything, as long as it's legal, is is game. And we're trying to see who's going to make the most money. We have red team and we have green team. 
Um, people are doing charity streams. We have podcast shout outs. People are doing rewards for the Tiltify. So Tiltify is a great kind of middleman. Uh, so we don't actually have to handle any money and all most of the money besides like some processing fees. And I think Tiltify takes a small cut, um, go straight to the charity, but it allows us to track things and to send out rewards. So we have PDFs of games, physical games that you can basically uh, buy with your charity money. We have opportunities to guest on podcasts, um, to guest on streams. We have other opportunities to have uh, professional game masters teach you how to play games. A friend of mine, Sadie Oakleaf, is put up that they will basically make a custom one-page tabletop RPG for you and then run it for all of your friends. And then you get to keep the tabletop RPG afterwards. Um, a friend, another friend of mine, uh, Smoking Glue Guns, has put up some uh, sets of dice, including a Giga Chunk, which is like this huge... 110 millimeter fist size thing it like weighs a ton and you could probably like actually physically kill somebody with it if you really wanted to it's like massive um and there's just a ton of other stuff on there um including improv classes improv gm a good friend of mine has uh is doing two workshops where you can basically learn how to be a better improver in your tabletop rpg game and you know um how stakes works how setting a scene works how to make you know how to make something satisfying and not just a bunch of like wild unconnected statements, you know? Um, so there's, there's really a lot of things available on there. Um, and we will have, we'll have a link to that collection when the episode goes up. Um, and also, you know, I've been known to do a tabletop thing or two. Maybe by the time the episode airs, you'll see me in the list of things. This sounds pretty, I could get, you know, you know, maybe who knows, who knows? We'd be happy to have you. And by the time this goes up, I'll have probably set up my thing where if you donate ten dollars, I'll draw you a little Hades Charm commission. I'm working on the TikTok video to where I can show you the Hades charms I've previously made. And if you're interested, hey, donate ten bucks. I'll make you one. Hey, that'd be awesome. Um, uh, on that note, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, uh, please feel free to drop us a like, a fave, a follow, a five star review, a comment, a share, and head by our merch store. Um, uh, where we will be selling um, entire asteroids. Um, uh, you can you can throw uh, them you at should people. Have said be acts fine. of terrorism. No, we're selling acts of terrorism. No, That's we're, what we're just, doing. no. It's the asteroid. <laughs> Listen, what are you what you do with the asteroids is up to you. I'm not gonna. I'm not your mom. Um, Speaking of what we do, Amber, uh, what are we gonna talk about next week? Because I know it's not gonna be jumping the holograms. It's not gonna be jumping the holograms. This episode is jumping the queue because it's time sensitive. We want to make sure that the um, the, the, the information gets out early. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, um, uh, the next episode that you hear after this will be the, the, the long foretold one with Becca, where we talk about this corner of the world back in the Devon Retrieval arc. Um, that's a sewed, boys, girls, awesome. and everything in between. Thank you for Bye. having me. Thank you so much for being here. No problem. It was a pleasure. Goodbye. Bye.